Hey everybody, this is episode 16 of Artist Soapbox. Hello and welcome to Artist Soapbox, a podcast featuring artists from the Triangle region of North Carolina talking about their work, their plans, their manifestos. I am Tamara Kassane. In this episode, I'm speaking with Dana Marks, who has generously agreed to be the first participant, or guinea pig, in the Artist Soapbox Ask Me Anything series. Ask Me Anythings will be episodes that pop up periodically featuring Triangle Area artists who are willing to answer questions submitted by listeners anonymously ahead of time. You'll hear us cover a variety of questions in this episode, both personal and professional, related to the past, present, and future of Dana's work and the work of her company, Little Green Pig Theatrical Concern. Dana Marks is an actor, singer, director, and teaching artist, as well as the managing director of Little Green Pig Theatrical Concern. She studied acting at the American Repertory Theater, Moscow Art Theater Institute, and has performed across the U.S. and in Mexico, Russia, Italy, and Germany. Dana teaches acting at Duke University and has taught performance composition, voice, and viewpoints at NC State, UNC Chapel Hill, NCTC, and Open Mind Improv. She records and tours with Curtis Eller's American Circus and is a guest singer with the Wiley Fosters, Berlin Brothers, and the Durham Street Piano Player. She is active as a director and actor with Little Green Pig, Honest Pint, Man Bites Dog, Theater Raleigh, and other companies in the Triangle. Thanks for being here, Dana. Hello. (laughs) So, listeners... This episode may seem a little all over the place, and that's because I received dozens of questions from all over the place. I've grouped the questions that I received into some broad categories and tried to organize them. Some will will require lengthy responses, and some can be lightning round style. I was really interested to read all of the submissions. The questions were as interesting as I know that the answers will be. So we're just going to see how this goes and enjoy the ride. Are you ready, Dana Marks, I for am. Ask Me Anything? Literally dozens came in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's begin. Let's get the naked question out of the way. All right. Question one. What is the best role that included nudity you've ever played and why? The only times I've been nude on stage actually have been relatively recently. When I first moved here in 2005... Jay Bird and I, we just moved in together and we did a show together where we were revealed in bed and we, we were completely naked and I'd never done anything like that in my life, but I was doing it with this person that I just, I'd fallen in love with very recently and it was just a joy to be doing that with him Hmm. and to be sharing my absolute terror terror but you know it was terrifying at first but then you're on stage and you gotta get stuff done Mm. and so nudity becomes well for me it became technical like I didn't have time to think about it Mm -hmm. but all that stuff goes through your head it's like oh my god people are gonna go home and they're like oh my god look at look how far is this or whatever like (laughs) boobs are really small or whatever people aren't thinking about that or maybe they are I don't care Recently, um, we did a, a fundraiser called the Puritans in lieu of our treat bag a Halloween fundraiser thing. And I, my character was this pagan 
witch woman who lived in this hut, this wood mm. stick hut. And I was completely naked the entire time. And I would leave the hut and be in the hut and people could peek through in between the sticks. And mm. I was, you know, making stuff and being weird. And, um, I knew that it was right for this character that I was creating. It was not terrifying at all. Hmm. I walked around the space for two hours with absolutely no clothes on in this like big long wig that, you know, shielded some parts. But I have to say that it was so liberating hmm. because I think for the first time in my life, I wasn't objectifying my own body. Does that make sense? Say more about that. You know, grow, growing up, you're, you're, you're subjected to all of these social ideas and constructs about what being a woman is. And a woman sits this way and uh, shoulders. I was, my mom was always putting her thumb and hi mom. Um, <laughs> and our bats like, you know, coming up behind us and like, you know, shoulders back, that kind of thing, like thrusting your chest forward. And, um, this is how our lady sits. And this is what a girl does air quotes if you, mm -hmm. you know, for all you folks out there. And it always was very uncomfortable for me. I just, from day one consciousness, I've always considered myself a person mm -hmm. first. And I still do, even though I identify as a heterosexual woman mm -hmm. and, have been objectified and objectified my own body right but because of that you, you you can carry around a lot of shame for your body not looking one way or for you know a guy not looking at you the way you want them to look even though you are trying your best to contort your body perhaps in ways that might attract him and that gets old. And it's exhausting. And exhausting. Yeah. But at the age I am now, this the switch flicked mm -hmm. off. And I can't hold that up anymore. That act, because it's for, well, I don't, I'm not going to speak for anybody else, but for me, it was always an act. This construct, always an act. Mm -hmm. And I can't do it anymore. And I'm not going to do it anymore. And so this nudity thing that I did at the Puritans was just like, I am a person. I am this character, but this is my body and it is unobjectified. Mm -hmm. If other people want to do that, you go right ahead. Mm -hmm. But it was the first time that I was able to let go of those constructs mm -hmm. and just be a body in space with no clothes on for the first time and mm -hmm. have that be a hundred percent. Okay. I'm getting goosebumps. But it was that I think that's it. That's the moment. That's mm. the best one. Continuing along that line, mm -hmm. we have a question sort of related to that. And this is question number two. Historically and currently, there are fewer roles available to women actors as we age. How are you thinking about this as you plan the trajectory of your career? Does this mean that you'll diversify your work or focus more on directing or teaching? I think we're getting better at that. I think people are, you're, you're seeing older women in leading roles <clears throat> more on stage and, and screen. Certainly not enough yet, but it's being done. I knew that I wanted to be a performer from a very, very early age. I knew it, mm -hmm. but I never wanted to be any of the women's roles. Even when I, as a very young person, I was always going, 
I want to do, I want to be Cary Grant in this movie. Mm -hmm. I want to be Fred Astaire. I want to be the boys part. I wanted to do the boys roles. I wanted to play the Hamlets and the, you know, because they got to do the interesting stuff. Right. I didn't want to be a damsel in distress or another girlfriend or because they were boring, Mm -hmm. boring. (laughs) Right. And we're so, you know, we're so much more interesting than that. But nobody's telling those stories. People are telling those stories. They're few and far between. And again, it is getting better, Mm -hmm. um, I think. But I still, I'm watching um, Tom Hardy's recent series called Taboo mm-hmm. on BBC. And, oh my God, just extraordinary actors. Like, just, he's the son, and like, but he's being orbited by oh, tremendous actors, American. Like, they're coming from all over the world. But it's set in London in the early 1800s, and everybody is filthy. It's filthy and muddy and dirty and there's horse crap everywhere and like you know whores and you know it's, everybody's so filthy and i'm going oh my god i want to be tom hardy so bad <laughs> i want to be his manservant so bad i want to be the guy c- cutting up the horse meat in the port i mean i've always felt that way too because mm-hmm. they're they're so much more interesting mm-hmm. and much more physical i i love being a physical actor and just the women's roles that I was coming into along my trajectory. It's just I'm in a petticoat sitting on a fainting couch. Mm-hmm. Like what is interesting about that? Mm-hmm. I want to ride a horse covered in mud. Mm-hmm. I want to swing that sword and get all bloody. I do it. I want to do it. Mm-hmm. And you're seeing women in those roles now. I mean, you're seeing them do that, but I mean, there's still, too many plays and too many movies out there with just not interesting stuff for me. Mm. And so the idea is to create those or aim mm. for those, or be those. those, or be those moving yeah, forward. I have to say, and and you know, from the beginning of Little Green Pig, I have gotten to play roles that if I left my casting up to somebody else, never would have gotten cast for mm-hmm. ever. I've played men, I've played little girls, I've played little boys, I've played like saints and murderers and I never I don't feel would have played people like that I played males females I played ambiguous but it, it, it's been amazing but because I'm making my own work all right I think it's time for a lightning round ooh <laughs> hit me these are quick answer questions mm. questions three through eleven what are your theater pet peeves Oh, I can't stand it when you can hear actors backstage. I think it breaks the magic right over. I don't want to hear it. It's just complete silence. Um, <laughs> I'm always the shusher. <laughs> I'm always the shusher backstage. Um, and mazel tov to y'all listening. I hate a curtain speech. I hate it. I don't like it. I think it breaks the magic. Before or after? Uh, b- before. Before. And after, actually. <laughs> Do it in the lobby. But for me, for me, I love to go, like my, I think the play starts when you go in. The set is there, like you have started the show. Hmm. And um, I feel like um, that's broken for us for a moment. Uh, before and after. Are you religious? Nope. What's it like to be married to another artist? For those of you who don't know, this is Jay Bird Oberski that we're speaking about. Yeah, it's great. It's great. Because, you know, being married to another artist, you get that person. They understand where you go. 
and you understand where they go mentally and emotionally and you don't have to make excuses or explain to that person like you know about your work Mm -hmm. and it's really wonderful and our lifestyle is really god we're so lucky we're really great we get to work together and that is like 99.99 percent really great Mm -hmm. it's i'm very lucky i learned a lot from him how do you balance a partnership in life and a partnership in business you just mentioned that you work Mm -hmm. together so how do you how do you balance that we make ourselves we make ourselves turn off like no like when we get into the bedroom no electronics allowed none and we don't talk shop when we go to sleep we don't talk business just like little little rules like that you know we'll we'll take each other out like we're gonna i'm gonna take you hiking today and like we don't talk about work mm-hmm. at all because most of it is and it's so ingrained in your daily life you'll be out walking the dog together and you're like oh have you picked up the posters for and you just do mm-hmm. so we consciously make time when we don't do that what's something you wish everyone did in rehearsal backstage and on stage put away your cell phones <laughs> turn them off Turn up, no, uh, no, even get rid of them. I'll be on stage and somebody's got their cell phone in their pocket, but it's not a character choice. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yes. And they're like, and as soon as they get backstage, they're looking at it. And I'm like, I'm tearing my hair out because I'm going, you're not really here. You're not really here. I mean, that's an overreaction, but you know what I mean? Internally, you're thinking. Oh, that, yeah, yeah, I'm going, <laughs> oh, be here now. No. Yeah. <laughs> Which play do you wish more people had seen? I'm, I never thought that way about a show. I just accept that 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 moment was there in that moment, and now the the moment that moment's over, and the people that saw it saw it, mm-hmm. and the people that didn't, maybe they'll see the next thing. Which play would you most like to remount? You know, we did this one night gig with the Bloomsbury group at Duke University. I'm hurt. Do you remember that? I am. Um, and Jay Bird had adapted uh, Virginia Woolf's The Waves for that celebration. Um, it was an anniversary of the Bloomsbury group. And, um, and it was a beautiful adaptation. And it was a, a movement piece uh, with text. And it was it was gorgeous i felt and internally it mm-hmm. felt gorgeous and we did it one time and it was just so painfully beautiful mm-hmm. and one of my favorite characters i've ever played and i just i always would love to do that again which show did you have the most fun in rehearsal and backstage that's hard to nail down just one well i right now we're like lake placid I can honestly say that I walk in there looking forward to going into rehearsals. It is so much fun. And the people we're doing it with, it's so, they're so wonderful and so funny and fun and really like working on it with you too. And we just have a gas. What's something every artist should learn or practice regularly? No matter what kind of art you're doing, a physical practice, whether it's like swimming or I don't know, if you do weekend soccer or yoga or whatever that is, like I think a physical, physical practice 
gets your cells moving, your DNA, your blood, like literally gets your heart pumping and like your brain clear and your breath going. And I think that's such a great place to start from creatively. Okay, question number 12. Wow. I know, we're moving along. We're moving along. What project or role are you most proud of and why? When I was in graduate school, I worked with a director named Robert Woodruff who really opened my eyes to the possibilities of what theater could be and, the, and how theater could be done. And I did a, a couple of shows with him. I did a show called Highway, U- U- Highway Ulysses, which was an adaptation of the Ulysses story starring Rindy Eckert, who wrote the thing. And also um, when we went to Russia as part of our training, um, Robert helped us the, the the class that we um he was working with my class uh adapt the phaedra myth using sarah kane's mm. plays and it was called phaedra 448 and we did it in boston and we also did it in uh moscow and um it just like i came alive like like the fire was lit within and it was at once validating in a really excellent way, uh, empowering way for somebody like that, that I respected so much and, um, to like kind of symbolically or metaphorically point at you and go, you are good at this. Mm-hmm. You're capable of a whole lot more. And he, he like just said yes to me. Mm-hmm. And it was like during a time where I felt like I was disappearing in the program. And, um, as someone who was not, extremely good looking, but also not really just like medium, Mm -hmm. just a medium person, a medium actor. But there was something that he went, you, yes, you. And it changed everything Mm -hmm. for me. And another mentor colleague of mine now, Thomas O'Connor, who I worked with also, who was kind of like my first movement guy, teacher, Mm -hmm. um, we did a show called uh, Metamorphosis. It was an ad- adaptation of uh, Kafka's story. And it was a movement piece. And it just, again, just exploded my ideas about how theater could be done and like what types of theater were out there and how to use the body as an instrument and uh, for expression and to build character. And it was just feeding something that I was missing for a long, long time. Like, and I had a great undergraduate experience, but there was, you know, I, I always wanted to get more physical and I didn't know really where to um, get that. Mm-hmm. And I have to mention one more. When I was in undergrad, I'm finishing up um, undergrad. I saw Ellen Hemphill's company, Archipelago Theater Company, do a show called Eulogy for a Warrior at Duke in Schaefer. Were you? I was not here. Yeah. I was not living here yet. Oh. Um, But I saw her company do um, shows prior to that. that Did you see Blue Roses? No, I saw uh, those women. Were you here for that? No. But I saw her do, like with Kristen Morris, Mm -hmm. Blue Roses and then Eulogy for a Warrior. And that, like I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about it because before I was just, I was doing... Uh, like period pieces and like musicals and stuff, which, Hey, they were great. And I was having a great time, but that kind of theater I had never seen before. And it, again, that 
blew my whole idea about what theater was supposed to be mm-hmm. open wide. And I immediately knew, I was like, that is it. That's mm-hmm. what I want to do. And that's how I found like subsequently, like the program that I wanted to be in having a large physical component. Mm-hmm. This is question 13, but it has a couple of different parts to it. Mm-hmm. When did you start to find your artistic voice? You talked a little bit about this, but Mm. when did you start to find your artistic voice? Did it coincide with finding your personal voice? Is that the same voice? Is it a work in progress? It is a work in progress because the different things that you do demand different things of you and you have to take care of that. And I think I started to find my artistic voice really when I hurt my voice Hmm. for the first time, which was about four years ago, I started singing with Curtis Eller's American Mm -hmm. circus and singing through a microphone consistently, consistently, um, which is a different technique than singing unamplified. And I banged up my vocal cords and uh, it was during a gig and you know, I couldn't hear myself. So you start to push when you can't hear yourself right. and something just went bang in there. I was like, Oh my God, oh my God what have I done? Oh, I know it sounds awful. Oh, it does. And I just thought, I was like, Oh, I'm going to have to do, I'm going to have to be silent for six weeks. Oh no. What have I done? Blah, blah, blah. But I went into this really, I'm going to shout out to Dr. Lita Skears at the Duke vocal clinic. Get there people. If you're <laughs> suffering from vocal stuff, but it was the first time that I got scared about not being able to do the thing that I love mm-hmm. so much. So I went into vocal therapy and luckily it was just a little swelling. And um, they gave me some exercises to do and some things to think about, um, some techniques to think about. It's where I really learned how to belt mm-hmm. legitimately mm-hmm. for the first time. I'd just been winging that mm-hmm. for so long. Because I was singing a style that was different. I'm a coloratura soprano, and I sing opera. I can sing that all day long. Mm-hmm. But I'm, you know, lately I've been singing in bands that require like a gospel technique or a jazz technique or rock and roll mm-hmm. pop technique, and I just didn't have the technique for any of those. And so I hurt myself, and I went into therapy, and then and only then really. I started taking care of my voice and actually started caring for it. And um, yeah, I just got serious about it. And I think because I got serious about it, I started taking myself seriously and like the words that, like what I'm saying, like Mm -hmm. I I mean what I say and say what I mean and hearing the sound attached to it, um, I think has, helped me come into my personal voice. Hmm. Um, my mom, when I met Jay, she mentioned that my voice had changed, hmm. that it was less uh, shrill and had dropped down. So um, finding somebody who, who gets you, I guess, you know, mm-hmm. helped me to relax, I think. Question 14. This is a quote. Of the question. All of these questions I should mention, I'm reading as they were written. There was a play you guys did a couple of seasons ago in which you opened a letter, took in its meaning as if you had never seen it before, and you crumpled into a weeping heap on the floor night after night. Plus, you did it really well. 
How did you do that? Now, is this person referring to celebration? Do you yeah, think? I think so. Okay, yeah, I think yeah, so yeah. too. So I just want to mention that I was in that play yeah, as well. You were amazing. And well, no, that's not, that's not why I'm mentioning it, but I wondered that, that too. And I did not read this question, but I'm so glad that somebody did because this was like four years ago, yeah. or five years ago. And I've been wondering it ever since because you nailed it every single night and I couldn't believe it. Wow. So tell us how you did that. <laughs> tell us. <laughs> I was like, tell us. I'm going to tell you the magic, how the magic is. No. I, I just played what if the content of the letter gets revealed later in the play. And I just substituted, like, what if this person wrote the letter? And what if it was this person that they were talking about? And how do I feel about that? That's really it. How did yeah. you clear the space? to let that emotion through because I think part of what we do and this is not a question anybody submitted yeah. but I'm just going to go off road here yeah. uh, I think that we as we go through life we build up all of these barriers to express expressing emotion authentically and then when you add the element of also being in front of people in the audience then that those barriers seem even more impenetrable so when you're playing something like that where you have to clear away that sort of conduit um how do you do that i have a story to tell that's a i have a responsibility to this story and i have to get my ego out of the way of that yeah i have to tell the story the best way i know how and if i get in the way of it or like try to do it for show like i'm gonna show them that i'm a good crier right i'm not serving that story or I'm not serving the intention of the moment. Um, and that helps, helps me get over any, I'm about to do this in front of these people. Cause I, you know, I know it's not my real life and I know it's right. theatrical and I like, and I'm embracing the audience is there to watch this. And so I go, yes, you're here. Okay. Watch this. Mm -hmm. Instead of going, Oh God, you're over there. You've well, got a job. You've got a job to do, and you have a scene to do. You have a story to tell. You have to get it to your audience so that they can put the pieces together. And if I'm not doing that as as authentically as I can, I'm not doing my job, and I'm not serving this story, mm -hmm. and I'm not setting up the subsequent scenes that mm. come after that. You know. Mm. Yeah. Question fifteen. My question is. How did she get to be so fabulous? <laughs> I, I've been told that I'm not allowed to. I, I told Dana, my pre-podcast instruction was that she had to answer that question and not deflect it by saying, oh, I'm not fabulous or list all the ways that um, she is not fabulous. Because I think it's really important that we, and you can use whatever substitution you want to, um, for fabulous but the truth is that the person who asked this question thinks you are fabulous and other people do think that so <clears throat> yeah I think it's important that we say something that we like about ourselves no really you're right absolutely and whoever submitted that question it's humbling to hear that from people because you just I don't know I you think you're like I'm a clown like this is like what I'm just doing stuff you know but people are touched by it and you can't poo-poo that and so thank you. That's really, really, I'm, I'm grateful for that. You just do stuff. That's what makes me feel fabulous is being creative, being involved in things, um, 
being physically fit is important to me. Um, and being creatively fit. Um, and I'm curious. I'm curious. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, those are that, that's of, a great way is of... Is this anything? Yes, yeah. that's a great way of answering the question because yeah. I think that, you know, what you're saying is that these are the things, these are the components of your life that make you feel mm. fabulous. Mm-hmm. And I think part of our responsibility as humans to ourselves is figuring out what those elements are that make us live happy, fulfilled lives. And that leads to fabulousnesses of all sorts. So identifying those I think are really helpful. Yeah. No, you're right. Isn't that funny how you immediately go, ah, I'm not fabulous. (laughs) I know. But we are. Okay. (laughs) So we are halfway through. Wow. I know. We're cruising. The next questions will begin to focus in a little bit more on the local theater art scene, the art scene more broadly, mm-hmm. and will then lead us into questions about Little Green Pig Theatrical Concern, your theater company. So question 16, what was the last local production or performance you saw that truly inspired you? Two concerts that I recently saw in the same place in Asheville, North Carolina. Um, the first one was Nick Cave and the second one most recently was uh, Father John Misty and I was utterly swept up and I, I still am thinking about them. I was so terrifically moved by both of them. Everything is theater, everything. Uh, even the bands I sing with, I, I look at that when I perform with them it, it with a theatrical mind. Mm-hmm. I'm, th- I'm always thinking about mise-en-scene and costume and what's my intention and like who am I that kind of thing and watching these two um these two people and their bands and their theatricality and the production qualities Mm -hmm. like the lighting was gobsmacking the down to like the way the bands were placed on stage and what they were wearing and the songs that were performed and the lyrics to the songs and the intentions behind them were so utterly and in undeniably authentic mm-hmm. that, I mean, it was, it was nothing less than it beam me up, Scotty. It was mm-hmm. just like, that sounds so corny, but almost alien in how just in real time both of those people were in the music and um but it was it's theater Mm -hmm. both of those people are just utterly good at what they do but it's a the music has become a theatrical production i mean bands travel with costume designers and lighting designers and sound designers and i mean father john misty had these like really cool animations behind him the whole time you know um like amplifying each song that he was singing and it was so cool and just like who's designing jay and i were looking into like who's designing these things and these men in their own right are powerful performers and lyricists and but they were plays Hmm. i felt like um, i was watching plays like greek plays 
the, the words that were being said and how they were being said or sung or performed and the movement that they each, their, their personal physical gestures mm-hmm. and um, the band, their, their physical gestures, like how they're playing the instruments and what their intentions are is, was really inspiring to me to bring it into the work that we like, how can we do that? How can we do that yes, yes. our own work or like, like this thing that I want to create over here? The questions from here to the end are all multi-part questions and they were submitted more like paragraphs, like short paragraphs. So I will read what was submitted all at once and mm-hmm. then we can break them down as we go because okay. it's a lot of text in a little block. So questions 17 through 19. Do you have any concerns that you feel the local theater community is not adequately addressing? Are there any issues you feel our community is ahead of the curve and leading the way? What do you wish we did more of around here? I think many issues are being addressed right now. Um, Certainly um, diversity or equal liberation um, in terms of race and gender and uh, abilities to art definitely being talked about a whole lot more um which is great uh tommy noonan and muriel um at uh, culture mill they they have been having you know a forum called articulating value which has been really really interesting talking about all these different things as well and so it's and i think across the board nationally and, and globally people are talking about the things that uh, we need to get better at. Mm-hmm. And um, so I think those conversations are definitely happening. I'm going to talk like uh, the community, like Durham, mm-hmm. I guess, um, super local. I'm going to stick Saxbaha in there too. Sure. And even um, uh, um, out in Hillsborough, I'm going to suck those in um, as well. Again, like, like Culture Mill and with, you know, Eric Lars Myers and his brewery and like what's going in there because that's becoming more and more of a performance place. Mm-hmm. And Durham, I think we're really good at embracing what our community feels like and looks like um, and also break you know, embracing all these different types of art that is here. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's amazing. We have a huge dance community, um, a huge um, like textile, textile, uh, like repurposing community, like people doing that, ceramics, visual art, inventing, like sculpture, like there's so much in Durham alone. And I think what really separates us from other communities is, I don't know, like visibility, like, I think there's a lot of crossover music. There's mm-hmm. a lot of crossover being done. And in terms of like going back to the theater company, um, you're starting to see theater companies embrace those kinds of art, like fashion designers, you know, runaway. Mm-hmm. Um, there's just so much. And it's fun when we all start to intersect with one another because we can in that arena. It's really um, amazing. Um, that I think we kind of had a have a, a bit of a lead mm-hmm. on, and and there's also a bit I think we're not afraid to look at the darker underbelly of things here I mm-hmm. think uh, which is exciting because and I think it's important 
um, I, I think we're a little bit like <laughs> to gloat a little bit, but a little bit ahead of mm-hmm. um, really looking at and thinking about the darker stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I wish there were more music venues bringing in in Durham I'm saying bringing in um in addition to awesome local bands bringing in just like a touch more well-known uh, well-known right um well-known nationally is that what yeah you okay. yeah 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 um because I think that's a great marriage I think a city that's got a huge great local music scene married that's married to acts that are more well known who come to this place specifically to mingle with Mm. those um local artists um who like coming here i I just i always enjoyed cities that um had that bridge Mm. and um i think i think we need a little bit of that more of that in durham Mm -hmm. So these next questions zero in on Little Green Pig theatrical concern and were clearly submitted by patrons, audience members, or mm-hmm. company members. However, I think both the questions and the answers will be really instructive to other arts organizations to get a sense of Little Green Pig's model and plans and the kinds of questions that are on people's minds. Mm-hmm. And after reading the questions, I will tell you, mm-hmm. money. Mm-hmm. Money is on. Yeah everyone's mind and that is pretty consistent across Mm -hmm. most of these podcast episodes as well and for many of the questions that are coming up but Mm -hmm. before we jump into those questions dana would you give us an overview of little green pig for listeners who aren't as familiar with the company yeah um little green pig started in 2005 with this idea that we uh we do mostly original work we do devised work we we have several in-house writers uh, playwrights if we do um, like tackle a classic like a Shakespeare or something Greek or you know Jacobean, we're going to infuse it with a little bit of the strange and change the context perhaps to maybe show you and ourselves a little something different about the thing that that we thought we knew about Mm -hmm. and um, infuse it with like music and dance and film and design. And we're in our 13th season. We call it, we're calling ourselves an independent professional theater company. We pay actors uh, for all main stage performances. We do a lot of outside small little gigs and we prioritize creation. We create a lot. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but that's what we like to do. Mm-hmm. So questions 20 and 21 are one of the first of several questions about the Patreon campaign, mm-hmm. uh, which you started a year and a half ago. Is Patreon? Yeah, that's okay. about right. So the Patreon campaign was launched for Little Green Pig about a year and a half ago. And the question says, has Patreon proved to be a successful fundraising vehicle for your organization? How many artists are you able to pay due to Patreon per year? Yes, it has been successful in this respect. Going back to the money idea, right? That is the baseline. That is the that is the song on the record player that's broken and it's skipping and it's playing the same song. Everybody's thinking about money. The thing about, with arts organizations, you never really know when the money is coming. 
So it's kind of catch as catch can. And that is really stressful Mm -hmm. when you're in the middle of production and you're waiting for that grant, perhaps, that is perhaps if you don't make your box office numbers, supplementing like actor and designer income. And when that doesn't come in, it is so stressful. Mm -hmm. What Patreon has helped us do in the past year and a half is that money comes in at the same time every month. We know it's coming and you, you cannot know if you're out there listening, patrons, you cannot know how relieving that is Mm -hmm. to know that if we get in a sticky spot, we know that's coming Mm -hmm. and that actor is going to get paid. That designer is going to get paid or, Um, We're able to beef up our insurance policy a little bit more to protect our actors and our audiences and people who are traveling or um, actually keep our website person on contract, Mm -hmm. which we've never been able to do before. And it's allowing us to do more. And, oh, man, it's great. Well, for for planning and expansion, it is vital to know that that money is coming in. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. The, the second part of the question, how many artists are you able to pay due to Patreon per year? Sounds like all of the artists for your main stage shows. Yes. Is that right? Okay. Yep. So our, our main stage shows, everybody gets a contract, designers, tech people, um, uh, actors, everybody gets a contract. They are paid a fee. We do several small projects between there. Uh, between those like you know music projects and you know fun little things that we like to do sometimes we're able to do that pay people um what we can for those sometimes we're not you know but all main stage productions yes absolutely um but what patreon has allowed us to do again is find even the smallest amount of money to pay for those small projects before it was all volunteer work but now we are beginning to be able to pay people to do those smaller projects. And that's really exciting because that's one of our you know, goals is to up our fee for actors. You know, what if we could do, you know, have a pay living wage and this free season idea that, that we've got. Let's skip ahead to that question because uh, you mentioned it and it happens to be the next question. So uh-huh. this is question twenty. 20- two through 24. I read that for the next season, which is the 2018-19, you're aiming to have a free season of theater. How is that possible? (laughs) If you don't meet your fundraising goals via Patreon, (laughs) does that mean that the artists don't get paid? Why is free theater important to the company? We have been talking about this idea for over a decade. Yeah. Since inception, we've been talking about like, what if nobody had to pay for theater? What if? What if? Everybody free. No questions asked. When we set the Patreon uh, campaign up, we included that as, as part of like the goal. And right now we're sitting at, I think we get right now it's sitting at a little over $1,300 a month that we're getting. And um, in order to pay a living wage to um, everybody for main stage shows, we have to reach a goal of six, Seven, sorry, $7,000 a month. And to make this, and that's through Patreon. Mm-hmm. Now we're, we're not operating fully on Patreon that uh, we are still getting 
one-time donations from people. So Patreon's not our only fundraising platform. But that said, in order to have this free season, we've got to bring in $9,000 a month. Wow. Yeah, that's a lot. Mm-hmm. For us, you know, and right now we are sitting at and always have, we're a $50,000 budget mm-hmm. company. We love this idea of what if like a non-union independent company could pay a living wage to actors? What that would do is at the fee we pay now, which is typically between 300 and 500 per designer actor. I mean, and this is approximate. It would more than triple their fee they get from us. Mm-hmm. And that is amazing. People are driving from Raleigh and Hillsborough and Chapel Hill and they're, you know, eating up their gas. They have to grab a meal sometimes before rehearsals and what it like that money, they would get a wage that is reflective of the labor that they are putting into this production Mm -hmm. and that's as it should be and that would take that would take seven thousand dollars a month Mm -hmm. and do the math times 12 so this free season idea we've always had you know and it's a fun idea for us we just you know because it's like what why shouldn't everybody go and see a show you know the, the ticket prices are shatteringly expensive you know and I get it you know it's a capitalist system but $300 to go see like oh this show and that show and it's like again I get it but at the same time it's like it's art is such a vital part of every human being's life it's one of the first things we start doing is mimicking Mm -hmm. and play acting at small age It's the first thing that we run to when things get hard. Imagine a day or even even an hour of not engaging in any kind of art. Mm -hmm. Don't turn on your radio. No movies, no music. Turn your paintings to the wall. Um, Pieces like jewelry, some pieces of clothing that you Mm -hmm. wear. Books. And that you could not engage in those. You go crazy. Right. That's how we de-stress. It's how we express ourselves. And yet most of us can't engage in the thing that like part of the thing that makes us human. And I, and again, I get it. People need to make money, but what if we could provide, like, even if it's just one season, like Mm -hmm. one season that nobody had to pay for it. Right now, we have a hive mind for the first time in our 13 years, and it's really exciting because before, kind of everything was falling onto um, Jaybird and uh, my lap, and things were just falling by the wayside because we just didn't have the manpower to. Right, you're only you know, two people. Only two people, and you know we were. It, it's asking a lot of, of people in the company who have nine to five gigs. They have kids. They have families. To like, can you do this extra thing for free? Right. Right. But now this, we've got this hive mind. We've added three new board members and two new artistic associates. And there's all this creative flurry. And these people are writers and they've been to business school Mm -hmm. and they have marketing ideas and they're photographers and they have the skills that I don't (laughs) have. 
like right. fundraising skills and da, da, da. And so right now we are poised to completely revamp our Patreon campaign, offer different rewards that can actually like get done mm-hmm. and more engagement and more fun. Because of this, we decide to put some parameters around that free ticket thing. And we're like, let's do it next year. Mm-hmm. Money is an old argument. And again, it's the baseline. It's the old soundtrack that's been playing. So let's do something about it. Okay, you're never going to have enough money. So we might as well go for this thing. Mm-hmm. It's hugely ambitious. But, you know, before we launched the Patreon campaign, we talked to Aaron Greenwald, you know, just to, to bounce this idea. He asked us, how much do you need to do this free season thing? And I said, $96,000 a year. And he looked me in the face and he said, that's a drop in the bucket mm-hmm. for Duke performances. It's true. Meaning, yeah, it's right? It's so true compared to some of these other companies. That's nothing. Nothing. But to us, it seems it is enormous. Enormous amount for mm-hmm. us. For the for the company that we are and the kind of company we want to be and we want to stay. Mm-hmm. $96,000 is a lot. What he meant was the money is out there. We have to figure out a way to get it to Little Green Pig. Right. And instead of making excuses that I think I've done before, admittedly, like, well, people won't give us money because we do weird stuff mm-hmm. and most people we don't appeal to the masses and blah, 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 blah. you know what that right bleep that <laughs> who cares money's out there and people want to give it and i think people should like have an opportunity to see a show let's try and get this money mm-hmm. so we're gonna try and do it <laughs> now you these are our our closing in on our final questions here mm-hmm. and you addressed some of this just now, but I'm going to ask them anyway, just in case there's anything else to add. Yeah. These are questions 25 through 28. Three to four productions per year, plus several musical reviews, plus the concern, plus other shows and benefits like the Muse, Masquerade, and Treat Bag, plus an international actor training program is Little Green Pig spreading itself too thin. Who is making the programming decisions what about burnout from company members? Is Little Green Pig able to offer consistently high-quality products with so many different points of focus? Well, ask Bam that. <laughs> ask Carolina Performing Arts that. Ask any huge theatrical company if they're spreading themselves too thin. And what I have to say is I, I, all of these questions are hugely valid. We, we're a creating company. We create. Um, no. <laughs> That's the short answer. Mm-hmm. Uh, no. Why sit and not create? And, you know, the idea of, well, whose idea? Well, what's success? What does that mean? Because, you know, Culture Mill's idea of success is going to be something very different from Bear Theater's idea of success and our idea of success mm-hmm. and Honest Pint's idea and Aggregate Theater and, you know, Burning Coal. What is that success? For some people, it's, you know, audience numbers. For some people, it's the budget number. For some people, it's like, I we just want to do this thing because mm-hmm. we think it's fun and cool and we would like to share it with you. And that's their idea of success. And, and we all fall on our face. Everybody falls on their face. But to not try and do all of these things, like, I just, I can't, like, why? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and actor, like, actor burnout, 
we, of course we want actors to be involved and everything, but sometimes actors get burned out. Like, you know, I took a year off one year and that's okay. We don't begrudge anybody that we're not a, a, a mine, you know, Mm -hmm. um, there's accountability on both sides, you know, and people can say no. There's a delicate balance between, um, because you mentioned earlier, not wanting to ask for people to give too much because you are sensitive to the other obligations that they have. Mm -hmm. So there's that. And then there's also the, but you have to ask Mm -hmm. and people want to be asked. Yeah. So, and then, you know, it's, there's so much psychology involved in all of these relationships. It's very tricky Mm -hmm. because I know for me personally, when I'm asked to do something and I say no, mm-hmm. I have to recover from the saying no of that yeah. for like three days. What is this going to mean to our relationship? And what if I never get asked again? And blah, blah, blah. And um, it's taken a long time to get to this place. And that is the same for when I ask for someone's help. I have to, I go through the same thing, completely the yeah. opposite way around. Like, what if I ask them and they're upset or they say yes, but they don't really want to do it. And so there are all of these barriers to us working together before we yeah. even begin the work. It's And I can only imagine as a company leader that that is magnified just because of the number of people you're dealing with yeah. on a daily basis. Yeah. And I've had conversations with, you know, a handful of, of company members and, and people who, who, well, like this person who are like, well, how, you know, how do you, how do you decide who's in a show and how do you, do you revolve actors and do you, you know, do you try to get new people in? And, and yes, all yes to that. Yes to that. We try to look at the company as a whole and say, okay, this person hasn't been in there and this person, oh, that person's not available. Crap. And you know, oh no, this person had to drop out the last second who we don't have anybody to fill it. Crap. I have to do it. Shit. And that's, and that's, you know, there's so many factors, but going back to the point of like all that psychology, yeah, it sucks to say no, but you know what? Say no. Mm -hmm. We've gotten to that point. Like say no, it's okay. We like you. We like you. And you also, though, have to help us by saying, I am still interested in you, though, mm-hmm. in the company and working with you. Um, because sometimes when people take a break, we're, you know, we're like constantly one of our goals is to try and fold new people in all the time. And um, sometimes and I mean, nobody's perfect. And sometimes people get lost, mm-hmm. unfortunately, wave stick your face in our face and say hey i haven't done a show in a while i'm really interested in still working with you do that Mm -hmm. i mean it sucks to be forgotten but i'm sorry like it happens but i think there's accountability there and and on my side too i you know as an actor i have to stick my face and like send emails sometimes like hi i it's i i you know just a reminder i still would i love working with your company and is there anything you know available you got to do that stuff. Right. And it's not because we don't like you or that, you know. Well, everything's moving so fast. So fast. Mm-hmm. And it's actually like, oh, my God, yes. Yes. Thank you. Thank you for reminding me. I've got the perfect thing for you. Or next season, you bet. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is. It's a relationship. Mm-hmm. It is a relationship because there's so many things happening behind the scenes they're so boring. You don't want to tell people about, you know, um, you, you really, you just like, some people yeah. are like, I just want the magic of right. it and cool. We'll give you the magic. Right. 
I don't want to bore you with the checkbook, you know, right? And the thing. Excel lists and the right, you know, address labels and all of that kind yeah. of stuff. Yeah, but like it, it is. It's like it's a relationship. Like help us, help you, help me, mm-hmm. help me, that kind of thing. You know. We answered a ton of questions, but I have two only two more. Oh wow! I know. <laughs> One is a question that I'm asking, just that I made up right now. Yay! Uh, based on that conversation, and this has to do with being one of the leaders of this company. I mean, you mentioned having this this hive mind, and I think there have always been people around to help support Little Green Pig, but for many, many years, it's been you and Jaybird in this leadership position, in these leadership positions. Is that position something that you have grown into? Did you feel comfortable from the beginning, or how does it feel to be the leader of this type of company? When Jay Bird asked me if I wanted to, when we were talking about the inception of this company, if I wanted to be the managing director, I said yes. And inside I was going, no, please don't force me to do it. I do not want to do this. I do not want to do this. I do not want to do this. I want to be an actor. That's all I want to be. I just want to perform. That's what, that's my priority. Mm-hmm. And um, <laughs> I'm like, okay, Sure. Not knowing what that entailed. And I still don't, guys. <laughs> still don't. I'm still working on it. And that's why I we, like we have gathered these people around us because I'm like, I am crap at marketing. I am crap at fundraising. Just am. I am like the whole idea of like growing your business. Like, where do you want to be in five years? I don't know. Mm-hmm. I just want to get on the stage. <laughs> like, right. I don't know. But I do have to sign checks and I do have to keep records and I do have to write grants and I have to make sure that people are happy and see the big picture of the company and also unpacking that and like, what can we do better? And now we have this educational wing that is fairly new and getting that off the ground. And I don't actually see myself as a leader. I see myself like I am desperately trying to keep my hold on Jaybird Oberski's tailcoat because like, cause that's how I felt. I'm like, I'm, I'm just riding this guy's waves because it really is like he like he's the leader he really is you know because everything even though we do we do ask for you know opinions and you know we have meetings about well what's the next season going to be and are you going to write something and why don't you write this and blah 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 it really does come down to we do still the artistic director has a final say even when people are weighing in Mm -hmm. and I, I am the managing director. I am not, I've never seen myself in a leadership role, even though I I kind of am, I guess, but I always have seen myself as a member. I'm just a member of the company. I just happen to be doing all this other stuff, but I think that's changing a little bit again with this, the timing has just been right to gather this collective of minds to help us pick up the stuff that has fallen through the cracks. Um, we're looking forward to, and we're hoping it feels like LGP is going to turn a corner of sorts, whether that's financially or creatively, um, all of the above, you know, final question <laughs> also from me. <laughs> How did it feel to receive and then answer these questions? 
so bizarre. Yeah. I was telling you earlier about, like, I got these questions, and I had to talk out loud to myself. Like, I had to, like, as if I was on, you know, Stephen Colbert was asking me these things. <laughs> yeah, earlier I mentioned, you know, I've thought about all these things, but in my, you know, the back of my mind, and haven't consciously articulated them for myself. And so when I got these, they terrified me. But it was fun to answer out loud you know, in my kitchen. Like, how do I feel about this? Am I happy about this? No, wait a minute, Dana. No. How you really feel about this? Mm. Don't answer so you'll make somebody else feel good or happy or, or make them go, ah, she's super. Mm-hmm. No, tell the truth. Mm-hmm. Tell the truth about it. And that's scary. Um, but also illuminating and actually helped me work out some answers to some questions that, that I had not answered yet. Mm-hmm. So thanks guys. Yeah. yeah, it was fun. It has been really fun for me. And I want to thank the people who submitted the questions. Yeah. And also thank you, Dana, for running the gauntlet with this conversation because it does take a lot of guts to answer things honestly. And some of these questions were challenging questions. So I really appreciate your openness and your generosity and your willingness to to talk. And thank you. I I feel the same way. I think you're all kinds of awesome. And I can't wait (laughs) to see what's next for you and for the company. And... As usual, I'll put links in the show notes for people who want to follow up with some of the things that we mentioned. For information about today's episode and more, go to artistsoapbox.org. And we're out. <laughs>